Pod fam, what's going on? This is Hector Santi Esteban, and I'm your host. And today we have a special guest. We're here chatting with Chris Kremitos. And some of you guys who have been to Podfest know who he is, or at least know of his work. He's the founder of Podfest, which is the most awesome podcast festival in the world. Chris, thanks for being here. Oh, thanks. I'm excited to have this conversation. I don't know where it's going to go, but if you're sitting here, buckle up, because I think it's an important conversation. And one of the biggest reasons that I'm excited is I think that there's so much need for community within podcasts. And because we're oftentimes so siloed and so alone and in our bubbles, there's mental health reasons for connecting with other podcasters, but there's also best practices and growth and all this opportunity that comes along with it. And so I just, when I see something like PodFest and the things that come from it, I just know the importance of it. I don't know that I know the story of it though. I'd love for you to share why and how, and I know it all just came together so magically and easily. And then you guys are like 10 years in and everything was just so so easy. But I say that in jest. I'd love for you to also share some of the challenges or some of the hard times, if you will. The way PodFest came to be our origin story is pretty interesting. I had a meetup system here in Tampa Bay, Florida called eMarketing Groups, and I would teach internet marketing. Because remember, in 05, 06, I was doing live TV shows, and then I transitioned out, and I was doing these meetups. I was doing five a week for like seven years straight. I was doing hundreds of events to the point where five years in, I started dating my wife. And I remember uh, coming home and I remember saying to her, there's people outside walking their dogs. I go, something's wrong. And she goes, what's wrong? I go, they're not working. And she goes, it's five o'clock. I go, yeah. She goes, that's when normal people come home. She goes, you haven't come home before 9 p.m. in like five years. Now, I had just started dating her, so I started realizing, like, oh, I might be a little bit imbalanced, but I was so passionate. One of those meetups led me to where I am today. We had a gentleman by the name of Steve Cherubino who started PodNuts, which was a network, Android app addicts. And he actually had a course where he taught podcasting, and one of his students was John Lee Dumas, who created EO Fire. If anyone's into the podcasting history, he was one of the very early adapters. And in the beginning, there weren't a lot. And he was at one of my meetups, and he goes, look, you're teaching all these great things about internet marketing. Do you mind if I teach about podcasting? And at the time, a lot of the speakers, consultants that I knew were doing what's called blog talk radio, which... If you were in the early days, it sounded like people talking through two cups in a wire because it sounds so bad. And I didn't know much about podcasting. I just knew that's not what I want to do. Like, I don't want the audio quality to be so bad. Me, even as a novice, would be like, I would never listen to this. But they were getting really crazy numbers because there wasn't a lot of people doing podcasting. And Steve said, no, no, no. I'm talking about microphone setup. And so I said, sure. So he showed up the next week, taught about podcasting. There was 13 of us at a cafe at night. And he had a course and the course was on Udemy. And he was like, listen, you guys, I'm friends with Chris. I come to this meetup. I'll give you a 90% discount, something crazy. So the course was like 10 bucks. He was literally doing us a favor, but he did believe that you had to pay something for the information. That was like a core foundation that Steve had. Well, out of the 13 people, I think we sold 17 courses, which I've never had that happen before, Hector. People would buying for their kids and their spouse. Does that make sense? I've never seen that before. So I was like, this is crazy. Two of the people didn't buy, but two of the other people bought for like their whole family. And I was one of the people I bought as well. And he's like, I'll give it to you for free. You're hosting. I go, no, no, no. I want to study. That's when I realized I want to do podcasting. And I went home, told my wife about it. And we had our first podcast fight. Who would start a podcast first? She won the fight because she had a niche. I'm a marketer at heart. And I want to talk about everything. And I knew at the time that would not go anywhere. But she wanted to have a business podcast 
for business women, and she wanted to reach that audience. And I did the research. There was very little to nothing out there. So she would be a pioneer in that space. I said, you know what? I like marketing, so I'll be your number two. I'll be your marketing manager. You launch the podcast, and that's how I cut my teeth, and I took Steve. Steve's like, imagine someone that's really techie but doesn't know how to promote. Like, he kind of knows how to promote, but he's not a promoter. I'm a promoter. I said, Steve, do you mind if I pick you up and take you to, like, I'm doing some workshops, and you could just tell people about podcasting? He was like, sure. So I literally would go pick him up at his house, and then I'd drive him to, like, Sarasota, and there'd be 100 people waiting for us because I spent all month promoting. And he's like, what is this? I go, don't worry about it. Just talk about podcasting. And then there's pictures of two of us with microphones with the speaker in the beginning. After a while, he's like, I don't know what this is, but whatever. Chris picking me up. I'll just talk about podcasting. And I started helping all these people get started. Well, Hector, that created a bigger problem or, as a marketer might say, an opportunity. The problem was everybody started calling me for tech help. And I've said this in the beginning. I'm a marketer. I'm not a tech guy. So I said to them, why don't we all meet once a month and then let's create an event for all of us to meet? And that's kind of how PodFest came to be. It was born out of that. 100 people the first year, 181 the second year. And then we moved it to Orlando. And there was some fate in that. One of our members had a sister that was in charge of a hotel in Orlando. At the time, I couldn't risk signing these contracts with these convention hotels. If anyone doesn't know, they're guaranteed contracts, meaning they're personal guarantees. You're putting up all your assets to do an event. And this gentleman said, my sister wants to help us go talk to her. They gave me the hotel cheaper than I had the dingy little Tampa hotel. And this was a world-class resort. And I remember driving back saying to my buddy, Neil, I said, why'd your sister do that? He said, well, when I came to Tampa, you helped me establish my editing business because he's from Orlando and he comes from a very proud Venezuelan family. And he's like, this is my family's way of repaying you as a thank you. And that kind of put PodFest on the global stage once we went to Orlando. And since then, we haven't looked back. We'll get somewhere around 1,500 to 2,000 people in-person attendance. And during COVID, we set two Guinness World Records because we always are community first. So what that means is we focus on the people attending, where a lot of conferences focus on the exhibitors. Our exhibitors are very successful, but our focus is always like, if the attendees are not successful, then why are we even doing this? And then we want to marry them to meet the exhibitors. So that makes a big difference. reason I say that during COVID, most conferences couldn't pull 10 people on a virtual because they didn't have the community. We did. We pulled the first one. 5,003 was the first record. And then we blew past it on the second one. So it's been an honor and privilege to help facilitate this community and help podcasters all over the world. Yeah, there's a not so infamous other podcast conference that you come away from it not feeling like you're cared for unfortunately. I've been to a number of those. They appear on the West Coast. They're a little closer to me. But you feel lost. And I think that so much of podcasting is not the tech. It is the community. And honestly, I've studied conferences just so you know, like now that I'm into it, I'm not a conference guy. Like I got into it because I'm a community guy. Most conferences, they're with the exhibitor in mind. And I talk to professionals that buy and sell these things. I say, why is that? They go, because that's the value of the conference. So the attendee is, it's almost like when, you know what they say, when you have a social media platform that they give away for free, you're the product kind of thing. So most conferences, the attendee is kind of the product that then you're selling the exhibitor space. But anyways, I don't want to get into the weeds, but that's just most conferences. Our focus has always been, or my focus is like, if I'm going to do this, I want to make sure my wife, who's a podcaster, wants to come back. She metrics her time very carefully because she's a mother of two. So like for me, that if I could appeal to someone that their time is that precious and they still see it that they have to be at PodFest, I know I'm doing a great job. And that's kind of what we want to do is create value for our attendees. So this is their once a year gathering spot. And that, luckily we've done it and we've survived throughout all the curves that we've been given these last few years. 
Yeah. One of the things that I try and take advantage of when we have someone who's been in the industry for as long as you have is to ask the question of what's the same as when you started and what's different? Because I know that there was a, around the pandemic, a big rush of people who are getting into it in the last few years, and it all is also new to them. But then you come around and you talk to people and they're like, well, this is actually not that new. So when you look back compared to now, what stands out to you? So the same as the fundamentals, like what is your show about? Are you keywording your shows correctly so people could find you? Because podcasting is a directory that people search. So are you making sure that your episode titles, your show titles are what I call keyword friendly? If not, are you investing money in marketing? Obviously, in the early days, it was easier to be discovered because there was less people. Now there's quite a few. But what's happened now is I think the U.S. market has matured. So what I'm seeing is other regions of the world really coming online and getting in the game. So you were going to see more global competition coming in, which is a good thing. And at the end of the day, consistency, releasing an episode when you say you're going to release it, caring about your community, all those fundamentals are the same. The thing that's a little bit more difficult is people do have their podcast that they listen to and trying to grab a listener's ear might be challenging. However, exploiting format opportunities is a great way of doing that. So that's something I always tell people like, hey, if it's a busy, crowded area, it's good because people like that content. But the bad thing is you don't want to blend in like everybody else. So if you could find a format within that niche, maybe you could grab some market share or listeners. And at the same time, there's a lot of passionate hobbyist podcasters, which I love. I love that about podcasting. It attracts a lot of great hobbyists. You can make a living at it. It could be a hobbyist. You could use it to build your business. There's just a lot of variance in the way people use this medium. Yeah. Are there any format examples or ideas? I think that's a great concept that not enough people explore. So anything that might you know jog someone's mind or kind of inspire someone? Sure. So right now my wife pivoted and started the Women's Meditation Network. So she does guided meditations. So very simple, very easy to understand, very ubiquitous. You don't have to tell someone what a guided meditation is. She's really successful in what she does. So in the beginning, we looked at all the other meditations. Well, one, this one was guided towards women. So it's written in the feminine and it has some of the things are about pregnancy or motherhood. It has certain meditations that are meant for women. But I remember in the beginning, we listened to a lot of meditations and they were like, release your orange chakra. It was written to someone that was into meditation. Well, my wife was like the modern woman. If she's all stressed out, I don't know if that relates. So she had meditations like shatter imposter syndrome. So the format was titling and writing meditations that could be relatable to everyday people. One of my favorite ones she wrote was put down your phone and go to sleep. I don't think people were doing meditations like that prior to. So that's a new format because she's looking at it differently. And then she would announce the intention of the meditation before she started the meditation. As simple as that was, when we were looking at the time People weren't doing that as often. So that was a competitive advantage. Just those three things. She had a niche that no one had catered to. She had titles that no one was, everybody was doing more like chakra type stuff. Now she had titles for the modern woman. And then she would state the intention of the meditation. So that's a simple one. Yeah, I think that's great because that's actually not where I was going. And I think that thinking about things differently is really, really helpful. So when you're thinking formats, you're expanding it even to niche and topics, which I think is a really great concept. Looking forward, to the podcasting industry, what is different or what is new or fresh or are there 
new opportunities. There's, I think, unfortunately, so many shiny objects in the podcasting space that some people can get carried away if they're not focused. But are there things worth paying attention to or things that you're excited about? I think just in the last couple of years, video has really come on strong. So video podcasting, so adding YouTube onto your slate or doing short clips. I'll give you an example. If I had like a world expert that I was interviewing and I got their time, right? So let's say it's a one hour plus interview. So think of it like a Joe Rogan type thing. I'm going to interview you so I could get five or six clips out of it, meaning I'm going to script out how I'm going to interview that person in a way that I could get these five or six minute gems, these clips that I could clip out and then put on social media, YouTube for people then to find the long form and build an audience. So when we first started, that wasn't a thing. Joe Rogan, for people that don't know, he started like on Ustream, then he went on YouTube and his stuff was like two, three hours long of his friends and comedians. Later on, he started bringing in the really big experts. So we were all evolving with the medium, but now you're seeing a lot of people creating really great engaging clips that then guide them back to the show. I would just tell someone like, think about not only the long form content, but think about the short form content as you're creating the long form content. I think that's really important. And I think YouTube could be a really great discovery tool for people to find the long form. Yeah. It's funny that people get very, very emotional, angry, frankly, about the YouTube thing and what's a podcast and is it on an RSS feed? I can guess your answer given that you mentioned that you're a marketer and I put myself in that same boat that I'm more about content than I am about podcasting. But do you have thoughts on that conversation? Yeah, I'm loyal to the podcasting community. And the argument that you're saying that's out there is the podcast purists that help create the medium of podcasts believe that you must have and own your RSS feed to be considered a podcast. And I would say there's a lot of validity to what they're saying, because what they're saying is if you're on YouTube, YouTube owns your content because of all the rules they put in place. But I don't see why you can't do both. So that's kind of where I fall in. I understand like, hey, you should also, if you're stripping your audio, have your RSS feed, feed it out. But why can't you have a video show on YouTube? And I don't think the purists would argue with that. They would just be like, yeah, if you have the time to create it, that's a great option. It's just some people will do a YouTube show. You have to realize podcasting is what allowed debate to happen during COVID. Like without that RSS feed, I don't know where we would be in this world because people were able to just say, what about this? What about that? What's going on here? They were able to ask questions. So it is a very powerful thing. So, but I'm not tribal where I'm like, oh my God, you're on YouTube. It's over. But I think they're both great. You could have both. Now with the streaming tools and technology, if you have a really great provider, you could easily record a podcast that you could strip audio and then do video. So that's kind of where I fall in on the game. But having an RSS feed, I do think is important because in case your YouTube channel gets shut down. So just so you know, Hector, because what I do with PodFest, I see a lot of people. We have a young lady who has a show called Food Heals, and she just talks about like natural remedies. And her email was taken down. Like People don't realize how bad the censorship got. It wasn't like what you see in the news. It went down slope far and wide. Little creators that weren't even touching really hot issues were getting banned. So there is something to be said about having the RSS feed and owning your RSS feed and always having that as an option for your voice. I hadn't really considered the impact of the whole aspect of freedom of speech. I always thought that the accessibility of information with regards to podcasting was monumental. The fact that everyone throughout the world could search anything, any topic and listen and learn. I thought that that was the biggest thing that podcasts had to bring. But I was chatting with a friend recently and he said that 
the freedom of speech was actually it for him. When you think about it, do you see podcasting as the last stand for free speech? Or is it that dramatic in your mind or not? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a historical thing. Like, wherever you can control, you're going to control. Podcasting is kind of like a website. It's very tough to turn off a website because <laughs> of ICANN and all the different internet providers. If you've ever talked to people how, like, websites work, it's incredible how it was set up. So podcasting is the same way. The freedom, that's what drew me to podcasting. You have to realize I came of age where if I wanted to go and do media, I'd have to go through a security checkpoint and then a producer would have to get me to take me to the back of even a radio show or like a TV show to do media. And I remember asking myself, like, why the hell do I have to go through security? Some lady has to buzz me in for like a producer to come get me. And what people don't realize is during my childhood, all information was controlled and guarded by security. If you go to the local NBC, Fox affiliates, they literally have armed guards around these stations. So you got to ask yourself, why do they have armed guards around every TV station? I'm talking about forever now. And you got to be buzzed in. It's because that's how much power comes with controlling the information that goes out to what people consume. So the kid that grows up in today's generation, they're like, I don't even understand what the hell you're talking about. I have a green screen in my bedroom. I'm already gaming. I'm on Twitch. I'm on da-da-da. Well, they don't realize that the generation before them had to go through literally armed guards and producers had to come get them to get access to the airwaves. So this thing called podcasting is a revolutionary idea. This is not a small thing that you could actually ask questions and seek answers. So right now, RFK Jr. is running for office. He just got his Instagram account back like two weeks ago. And this is a Kennedy. So like (laughs) when you want to talk about access, whether you like someone or not, that's pretty crazy to me, like that this guy didn't have his own accounts. So I don't know. I think everybody should have a voice. My parents are from Greece. Many of them left. Greece fell into communism in the 50s. And part of the reason why they all came here was for opportunity to provide for their family. So I'm a big proponent of free speech. And it might make people uncomfortable, but I think it's a necessary thing for a free and operating society. So podcasting is the only mechanism we have right now that allows that. That I don't know of anything else that has that right now. Pretty much podcasting is it. You get to own your own voice. Yeah. It's powerful. And I think the only other thing is I was interviewed on a show called The Ed Up Experience, and we were talking about AI. And this person was an AI proponent, expert, guru, whatever, if you will. And they said that AI was kind of lead to the end of podcasting. And and I didn't really kind of understand where they were going. He was thinking like 10 steps past me. But with that regard and this whole AI thing happening and fake Drake songs, and it's like getting really weird. Does it cause for concern or not? What's your outlook on the future of podcasting? I'm kind of like you. Like I could go 10 steps and it could be bleak or it could be bright. I don't really know 10 steps out. I just know right now. It's a really great tool that helps us leverage what we're doing. I do go down those rabbit holes, but they don't comfort me. (laughs) So we could go down that rabbit. It's not something that'll serve us right now in the moment. One thing I will tell you that people need to realize with ChatGPT. So I still do monthly meetups in Tampa where we all get together and we compare notes. So one of the things we've been comparing notes on is ChatGPT. And what we're learning is it's a predictive AI, meaning It will take information and predict what you probably would say or going to say. And what we have found, like next month's meeting is all about the pitfalls of AI and how to understand. So there's like lawyers. There's a famous case where a lawyer had ChatGPT prepare his rebuttal or whatever, and he submitted to the judge. The problem is ChatGPT created all fake court cases. And based on court case, it was all like predictive, meaning it just created names and stuff. So it's not as advanced as we think just yet. 
it will get there. Quantum computing is going to come online and that's going to change the game. But I think it's kind of like if anyone's into like Star Wars, it's like you're going to always have your Jedi Knights and your stormtroopers. And it's how everything works, if that makes sense. So let's see what happens. Right now, AI does help people with stuff that they're doing. It's revolutionary, absolutely. But it's not where everybody like everybody's like, oh, my God, the world's over tomorrow. Like we're not there yet, but we're on our way to something. So how that plays out, I don't know. But it will replace a lot of contracts and simplify things and maybe release people to do the work they were meant to do, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Great stuff here, Chris. This is so fun. Talk to us about PodFest. What's next? I see you guys are doing more than just big events. So talk to us a little about what's going on for the community. Yeah. So shortly, we're going to be going on pod tour again. So we did it last year. We basically went to different cities to meet with the pod fam. So podcasters in different cities. And that was a lot of fun. We're going to do more of it this year. That's one thing that we're doing. We're celebrating the 10-year anniversary of PodFest. So that's huge for us a full decade in the space. And we love the value that we bring. So we have a lot of amazing people showing up, a lot of veterans coming to the fold. So we have a lot of announcements I can't make just yet, but some really big things for the community at PodFest. Our friends at Cheap Podcast are going to be hosting a one day before PodFest starts. So there's going to be a lot of activity. And then we're working with another organization that I'll be announcing just shortly that's going to happen at PodFest. When I tell you, Hector, it's going to be huge. It's going to be pretty huge. People will be talking about it. I love it. Can you give the dates for the next PodFest? Yeah, it'll be January 25th to the 28th. And that's going to be in Orlando. And me and the team are gearing up. We've been working overtime right now, putting all the pieces in place. So we're really excited for it. And what's the website? PodFestExpo.com. And if you misspelled PodFest, it should pop up as the first one. PodFest, PodFestExpo.com. And that's where all the information is there. Thank you, Chris, for the time that you spent with us today and everything that you've done for the podcasting community as a whole. It's so important. I'm trying to ride in your wake a little bit. And I think I'm that little guy trying to get up on your level there. So keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. You're doing great work, Hector. Thanks for having me on. We'll see you guys on the next one. Later, y'all.